chapter twenty three of the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one by edmund burke chapter twenty three part six of observations another head is the saving on the army and ordnance extraordinaries particularly in the american branch what or how much reduction may be made none of us i believe can with any fairness pretend to say very little i am convinced the state of america is extremely unsettled more troops have been sent thither new dispositions have been made and this augmentation of number and change of disposition has rarely i believe the effect of lessening the bill for extraordinaries which if not this year yet in the next we must certainly feel care has not been wanting to introduce economy into that part of the service the author's great friend has made i admit some regulations his immediate successors have made more and better this part will be handled more ably and more minutely at another time but no one can cut down this bill of, of extraordinaries at his pleasure the author has given us nothing but his word for any certain or considerable reduction and this we ought to be the more cautious in taking as he has promised great savings and his considerations which he has not chosen to abide by in his state of the nation on this head also of the american extraordinaries he can take credit for nothing as to his next the lessening of the deficiency of the land and malt tax particularly of the malt tax any person the least conversant in that subject cannot avoid a smile this deficiency arises from charge of collection from anticipation and from defective produce what has the author said on the reduction of any head of this deficiency upon the land tax on these points he is absolutely silent as to the deficiency on the malt tax which is chiefly owing to a defective produce he has and can have nothing to propose if this deficiency should be lessened by the increase of malting in any years more than in others as it is a greatly fluctuating object how much of this obligation shall we owe to this author's ministry will it not be the case under any administration must it not go to the general service of the year in some way or other let the finances be in whose hands they will but why take credit for so extremely reduced a deficiency at all i can tell him he has no rational ground for it in the produce of the year seventeen sixty seven and i suspect will have full as little reason from the produce of the year seventeen sixty eight that produce may indeed become greater and the deficiency of course will be less it may too be far otherwise a fair and judicious financier will not as this writer has done for the sake of making out a specious account select a favourable year or two at remote periods and ground his calculations on those in seventeen sixty eight he will not take the deficiencies of seventeen fifty three and seventeen fifty four for his standard sober men have hitherto and must continue this course to preserve this character taken indifferently 
the mediums of the years immediately preceding but a person who has a scheme from which he promises much to the public ought to be still more cautious he should ground his speculation rather on the lowest mediums because all new schemes are known to be subject to some defect or failure not foreseen and which therefore every prudent proposer will be ready to allow for in order to lay his foundation as low and as solid as possible quite contrary is the practice of some politicians they first propose savings which they well know cannot be made in order to get a reputation for economy in due time they assume another but a different method by providing for the service they had before cut off or straightened and which they can then very easily prove to be necessary in the same spirit they raise magnificent ideas of revenue on funds which they know to be insufficient afterwards who can blame them if they do not satisfy the public desires they are great artificers but they cannot work without materials there are some of the little arts of great statesmen to such we leave them and follow where the author leads us to his next resource the foundling hospital whatever particular virtue there is in the mode of this saving there seems to be nothing at all new and indeed nothing wonderfully important in it the sum annually voted for the support of the foundling hospital has been in a former parliament limited to the establishment of the children then in the hospital when they are apprenticed this provision will cease it will therefore fall in more or less at different times and will at length cease entirely but until it does we cannot reckon upon it as the saving on the establishment of any given year nor can any one conceive how the author comes to mention this any more than some other articles as a part of a new plan of economy which is to retrieve our affairs this charge will indeed cease in its own time but will no other succeed to it has he ever known the public free from some contingent charge either for the just support of royal dignity or for national magnificence or for public charity or for public service does he choose to flatter his readers that no such will ever return or does he in good earnest declare that let the reason or necessity be what they will he is resolved not to provide for such services another resource of economy yet remains for he gleans the field very closely eighteen hundred livres for the american surveys why what signifies a dispute about trifles he shall have it but while he is carrying it off i shall just whisper in his ear that neither the saving that is allowed nor that which is doubted of can at all belong to that future proposed administration whose touch is to cure all our evils both the one and the other belong equally as indeed all the rest do to the present administration to any administration because they are the gift of time and not the bounty of the exchequer i have now done with all the minor preparatory parts of the author's scheme the several articles of saving which he proposes at length comes the capital operation his new resources three hundred thousand pounds a year from america and ireland alas alas if that too should fail us what will become of this poor undone nation the author in a tone of great humility hopes they may be induced to pay it well if that be all we may hope so too and for any light he is pleased to give us into the ground of this hope and the ways and means of this inducement here is a speedy and both of the question and the revenue it is the constant custom of this author in all his writings to take it for granted 
that he has given you a revenue whenever he can point out to you where you may have money if you can contrive how to get at it and this seems to be the masterpiece of his financial ability i think however in his way of proceeding he has behaved rather like a harsh stepdame than a kind nursing mother to his country why stop at three hundred thousand livres if his state of things be at all founded america and ireland are much better able to pay six hundred thousand livres than we are to satisfy ourselves with half that sum however let us forgive him this one instance of tenderness towards ireland and the colonies he spends a vast deal of time in an endeavour to prove that ireland is able to bear greater impositions he is of opinion that the poverty of the lower class of people there is in a great measure owing to a want of judicious taxes that a land tax will enrich her tenants that taxes are paid in england which are not paid there that the colony trade has increased above one hundred thousand livres since the peace that she ought to have further indulgence in that trade and ought to have further privileges in the woollen manufacture from these premises of what she has what she has not and what she ought to have he infers that ireland will contribute one hundred thousand livres towards the extraordinaries of the american establishment i shall make no objections whatsoever logical or financial to this reasoning many occur but they would lead me from my purpose from which i do not intend to be diverted because it seems to me of no small importance it will be just enough to hint what i dare say many readers have before observed that when any man proposes new taxes in a country with which he is not personally conversant by residence or office he ought to lay open its situation much more minutely and critically than this author has done or than perhaps he is able to do he ought not to content himself with saying that a single article of her trade has increased one hundred thousand livres a year he ought if he argues from the increase of trade to the increase of taxes to state the whole trade and not one branch of trade only he ought to enter fully into the state of its remittances and the course of its exchange he ought likewise to examine whether all its establishments are increased or diminished and whether it incurs or discharges debts annually but i pass over all this and am content to ask a few plain questions does the author then seriously mean to propose in parliament a land tax or any tax for one hundred thousand livres a year upon ireland if he does and if fatally by his temerity and our weakness he should succeed then i say he will throw the whole empire from one end of it to the other into mortal convulsions what is it that can satisfy the furious and perturbed mind of this man is it not enough for him that such projects have alienated our colonies from the mother country and not to propose violently to tear our sister kingdom also from our side and to convince every dependent part of the empire that when a little money is to be raised we have no sort of regard to their ancient customs their opinions their circumstances or their affections he has however a douceur for ireland in his pocket benefits in trade by opening the woollen manufacture to that nation a very right idea in my opinion but not more strong in reason than likely to be opposed by the most powerful and most violent of all local prejudices and popular passions first a fire is already kindled by his schemes of taxation in america he then proposes one which will set all ireland in a blaze and his way of quenching both is by a plan which may kindle perhaps ten times a greater flame in britain will the author pledge himself previously to his proposal of such a tax to carry this enlargement of the irish trade if he does not then the tax will be certain the benefit will be less than problematical in this view his compensation to ireland vanishes into smoke 
the tax to their prejudices will appear stark naked in the light of an act of arbitrary power and oppression but if he should propose the benefit and tax together then the people of ireland a very high and spirited people would think it the worst bargain in the world they would look upon the one as wholly vitiated and poisoned by the other and if they could not be separated would infallibly resist them both together here would be taxes indeed amounting to a handsome sum one hundred thousand livres very effectually voted and passed through the best and most authentic forms but how to be collected this is his perpetual manner one of his projects depends for success upon another project and this upon a third all of them equally visionary his finances like the indian philosophy his earth is poised on the horns of a bull his bull stands upon an elephant his elephant is supported by a tortoise and so on for ever as to his american two hundred thousand livres a year he is satisfied to repeat gravely as he has done an hundred times before that the americans are able to pay it well and what then does he lay open any part of his plan how they may be compelled to pay it without plunging ourselves into calamities that outweigh tenfold the proposed benefit or does he show how they may be induced to submit to it quietly or does he give any satisfaction concerning the mode of levying it in commercial colonies one of the most important and difficult of all considerations nothing like it to the stamp act whatever its excellences may be i think he will not in reality recur or even choose to assert that he means to do so in case his minister should come again into power if he does i will predict that some of the fastest friends of that minister will desert him upon this point as to poor duties he has damned them all in the lump by declaring them contrary to the first principles of colonization and not less prejudicial to the interests of great britain than to those of the colonies surely this single observation of his ought to have taught him a little caution he ought to have begun to doubt whether there is not something in the nature of commercial colonies which renders them an unfit object of taxation when poor duties so large a fund of revenue in all countries are by himself found in this case not only improper but destructive however he has here pretty well narrowed the field of taxation stamp act hardly to be resumed poor duties mischievous excises i believe he will scarcely think worth the collection if any revenue should be so in america land tax notwithstanding his opinion of its immense use to agriculture he will not directly propose before he has thought again and again on the subject indeed he very readily recommends it for ireland and seems to think it not improper for america because he observes they already raise most of their taxes internally including this tax a most curious reason truly because their lands are already heavily burdened he thinks it right to burden them still further but he will recollect for surely he cannot be ignorant of it that the lands of america are not as in england let at a rent certain in money and therefore cannot as here be taxed at a certain pound rate they value them in gross among themselves and none but themselves and their several districts can value them without their hearty concurrence and co-operation it is evident we cannot advance a step in the assessing or collecting any land tax as to the taxes which in some places the americans pay by the acre they are merely duties of regulation they are small and to increase them notwithstanding the secret virtues of a land tax would be the most effectual means of preventing that cultivation they are intended to promote besides the whole country is heavily in arrear already for land taxes and quit rents they have different methods of taxation in the different provinces agreeable to their several local circumstances in new england by far the greatest part of their revenue is raised by faculty taxes and capitations such is the method in many others 
it is obvious that parliament unassisted by the colonies themselves cannot take so much as a single step in this mode of taxation then what tax is it he will impose why after all the boasting speeches and writings of his faction for these four years after all the vain expectations which they have held out to a deluded public this their great advocate after twisting the subject every way after writhing himself in every posture after knocking at every door is obliged fairly to abandon every mode of taxation whatsoever in america he thinks it the best method of parliament to impose the sum and reserve the account to itself leaving the mode of taxation to the colonies but how and in what proportion what does the author say oh not a single syllable on this the most material part of the whole question will he in parliament undertake to settle the proportions of such payments from nova scotia to nevis in no fewer than six-and-twenty different countries varying in almost every possible circumstance one from another if he does i tell him he adjourns his revenue to a very long day if he leaves it to themselves and settle these proportions he adjourns it to doomsday then what does he get by this method on the side of acquiescence will the people of america relish this course of giving and granting and applying their money the better because their assemblies are made commissioners of the taxes this is far worse than all his former projects for here if the assembly shall refuse or delay or be negligent or fraudulent in this new imposed duty we are wholly without remedy and neither our custom-house officers nor our troops or nor our armed ships can be of the least use in the collection no idea can be more contemptible i will not call it an oppressive one the harshness is lost in the folly and that of proposing to get any revenue from the americans but by their freest and most cheerful consent most moneyed men know their own interest right well and are as able as any financier in the valuation of risks yet i think this financier will scarcely find that adventure hardy enough at any premium to advance a shilling upon a vote of such taxes let him name the man or set of men that would do it this is the only proof of the value of revenues what would an interested man rate them at his subscription would be at ninety-nine per cent discount the very first day of its opening here is our only national security from ruin a security upon which no man in his senses would venture a shilling of his fortune yet he puts down those articles as gravely in his supply for the peace establishment as if the money had been all fairly lodged in the exchequer american revenue two hundred thousand pounds ireland one hundred thousand pounds very handsome indeed but if supply is to be got in such a manner farewell and lucrative mystery of finance if you are to be credited for savings without showing how why or with what safety they are to be made and for revenues without specifying on what articles or by what means or at what expense they are to be collected there is not a clerk in a public office who may not outbid this author or his friend for the department of chancellor of the exchequer not an apprentice in the city that will not strike out with the same advantages the same or a much larger plan of supply here is the whole of what belongs to the author's scheme for saving us from impending destruction take it even in its most favourable point of view as a thing within possibility and imagine what must be the wisdom of this gentleman or his opinion of ours who could first think of representing this nation in such a state as no friend can look upon but with horror and scarcely an enemy without compassion and afterwards of diverting himself with such inadequate impracticable puerile methods for our relief if these had been the dreams of some unknown unnamed and nameless writer they would excite no alarm their weakness had been an antidote to their malignity 
but as they are universally believed to be written by the hand or what amounts to the same thing under the immediate direction of a person who has been in the management of the highest affairs and may soon be in the same situation i think it is not to be reckoned amongst our greatest consolations that the yet remaining power of this kingdom is to be employed in an attempt to realize notions that are at once so frivolous and so full of danger that consideration will justify me in dwelling a little longer on the difficulties of the nation and the solutions of our author i am then persuaded that he cannot be in the least alarmed about our situation let his outcry be what he pleases i will give him a reason for my opinion which i think he cannot dispute all that he bestows upon the nation which it does not possess without him and supposing it all sure money amounts to no more than a sum of three hundred thousand livres a year this he thinks will do the business completely and render us flourishing at home and respectable abroad if the option between glory and shame if our salvation or destruction depended on this sum it is possible that he should have been active and made a merit of that activity in taking off a shilling in the pound of the land tax which came up to his grand desideratum and upwards of one hundred thousand livres more by this manoeuvre he left our trade navigation and manufactures on the verge of destruction our finances in ruin our credit expiring ireland on the point of being ceded to france the colonies of being torn to pieces the succession of the crown at the mercy of our great rival and the kingdom itself on the very point of becoming tributary to that haughty power all this for want of three hundred thousand livres for i defy the reader to point out any other revenue or any other precise and defined scheme of politics which he assigns for our redemption i know that two things may be said in his defence as bad reasons are always at hand in an indifferent case that he was not sure the money would be applied as he thinks it ought to be by the present ministers i think as ill of them as he does to the full they have done very near as much mischief as they can do to a constitution so robust as this is nothing can make them more dangerous but that as they are already in general composed of his disciples and instruments they may add to the public calamity of their own measures the adoption of his projects but be the ministers what they may the author knows that they could not avoid applying this four hundred and fifty thousand livres to the service of the establishment as faithfully as he or any other minister could do i say they could not avoid it and have no merit at all for the application but supposing that they should greatly mismanage this revenue here is a good deal of room for mistake and prodigality before you come to the edge of ruin the difference between the amount of that real and his imaginary revenue is a hundred and fifty thousand livres a year at least a tolerable sum for them to play with this might compensate the difference between the author's economy and their profusion and still notwithstanding their vices and ignorance the nation might be saved the author ought also to recollect that a good man would hardly deny even to the worst of ministers the means of doing their duty especially in a crisis when our being dependent on supplying them with some means or other in such a case their penury of mind in discovering resources would make it rather the more necessary not to strip such poor providers of the little stock they had in hand besides here is another subject of distress and a very serious one which puts us again to a stand the author may possibly not come into power i only state the possibility he may not always continue in it and if the contrary to all this should fortunately for us happen what insurance on his life can be made for a sum adequate to his loss then we are thus unluckily situated that the chance of an american and irish revenue of three hundred thousand livres to be managed by him 
is to save us from ruin two or three years hence at best to make us happy at home and glorious abroad and the actual possession of four hundred thousand livres english taxes cannot so much as protract our ruin without him so we are staked on four chances his power its permanence the success of his projects and the duration of his life any one of these failing we are gone propia hic si dona fuissent this is no unfair representation ultimately all hangs on his life because in his account of every set of men that have held or supported administration he finds neither virtue nor ability in any but himself indeed he pays through their measures some compliments to lord boot and lord dispenser but to the latter this is i suppose but a civility to old acquaintance to the former a little stroke of politics we may therefore fairly say that our only hope is his life and he has to make it the more so taken care to cut off any resource which we possessed independently of him in the next place it may be said to excuse any appearance of inconsistency between the author's actions and his declarations that he thought it right to relieve the landed interest and lay the burden where it ought to lie on the colonies what to take off a revenue so necessary to our being before anything whatsoever was acquired in the place of it imprudence he ought to have waited at least for the first quarter's receipt of the new anonymous american revenue and irish land tax is there something so specific for our disorders in american and something so poisonous in english money that one is to heal the other to destroy us to say that the landed interest could not continue to pay it for a year or two longer is more than the author will attempt to prove to say that they would pay it no longer is to treat the landed interest in my opinion very scurvily to suppose that the gentry clergy and freeholders of england do not rate the commerce the credit the religion the liberty the independency of their country and the succession of their crown at a shilling in the pound land tax they never gave him reason to think so meanly of them and if i am rightly informed when that measure was debated in parliament a very different reason was assigned by the author's great friend as well as by others for that reduction one very different from the critical and almost desperate state of our finances some people then endeavoured to prove that the reduction might be made without detriment to the national credit or the due support of a proper peace establishment otherwise it is obvious that the reduction could not be defended in argument so that this author cannot despair so much of the commonwealth without this american and irish revenue as he pretends to do if he does the reader cease how handsomely he is provided for us by voting away one revenue and by giving us a pamphlet on the other i do not mean to blame the relief which was then given by parliament to the land it was grounded on very weighty reasons the administration contended only for its continuance for a year in order to have the merit of taking off the shilling in the pound immediately before the elections and thus to bribe the freeholders of england with their own money it is true the author in his estimate of ways and means takes credit for four hundred thousand livres a year indian revenue but he will not very positively insist that we should put this revenue to the account of his plans or his power for a very plain reason we are already near two years in possession of it by what means we came to that possession is a pretty long story however i shall give nothing more than a short abstract of the proceeding in order to see whether the author will take to himself any part in that measure the fact is this the east india company had for a good while solicited the ministry for a negotiation by which they proposed to pay largely for some advantage in their trade and for the renewal of their charter this had been the former method of transacting with that body government having only leased the monopoly for short terms the company has been 
obliged to resort to it frequently for renewals these two parties had always negotiated on the true principle of credit not as government and subject but as equal dealers on the footing of mutual advantage the public had derived great benefit from such dealing but at that time new ideas prevailed the ministry instead of listening to the proposals of that company chose to set up a claim of the crown to their possessions the original plan seems to have been to get the house of commons to compliment the crown with a sort of juridical declaration of a title to the company's acquisitions in india which the crown on its part with the best air in the world was to bestow upon the public then it would come to the turn of the house of commons again to be liberal and grateful to the crown the civil list debts were to be paid off with perhaps a pretty augmentation of income all this was to be done on the most public-spirited principles and with a politeness and mutual interchange of good offices that could not but have charmed but what was best of all these civilities were to be without a farthing of charge to either of the kind and obliging parties the east india company was to be covered with infamy and disgrace and at the same time was to pay the whole bill in consequence of this scheme the tears of a parliamentary inquiry were hung over them a judicature was asserted in parliament to try this question but lest this judicial character should chance to inspire certain stubborn ideas of law and right it was argued that the judicature was arbitrary and ought not to determine by the rules of law but by their opinion of policy and expediency nothing exceeded the violence of some of the managers except their impotence they were bewildered by their passions and by their want of knowledge or want of consideration of the subject the more they advanced the further they found themselves from their object all things ran into confusion the ministers quarrelled among themselves they exclaimed one another they suspended violence and shrunk from treaty the inquiry was almost at its last gasp when some active persons of the company were given to understand that this hostile proceeding was only set up in terrorum that government was far from an intention of seizing upon the possessions of the company administration they said was sensible that the idea was in every light full of absurdity and that such a seizure was not more out of their power than remote from their wishes and therefore if the company would come in a liberal manner to the house they certainly could not fail of putting a speedy end to this disagreeable business of opening a way to an advantageous treaty on this hint the company acted they came at once to a resolution of getting rid of the difficulties which arose from the complication of their trade with their revenue a step which despoiled them of their best defensive armour and put them at once into the power of administration they threw their whole stock of every kind the revenue the trade and even their debt from government into one fund which they computed on the surest grounds would amount to eight hundred thousand livres with a large probable surplus for the payment of debt then they agreed to divide this sum in equal portions between themselves and the public four hundred thousand livres to each this gave to the proprietors of that fund an annual augmentation of no more than eighty thousand livres dividend they ought to receive from government a hundred and twenty thousand livres for the loan of their capital so that in fact the whole which on this plan they reserved to themselves from their vast revenues from their extensive trade in consideration of the great risks and mighty expenses which purchased these advantages amounted to no more than two hundred eighty thousand livres whilst government was to receive as i said four hundred thousand livres 
this proposal was thought by themselves liberal indeed and they expected the highest applauses for it however their reception was very different from their expectations when they brought up their plan to the house of commons the offer as it was natural of four hundred thousand livres was very well relished but nothing could be more disgustful than the eighty thousand livres which the company had divided amongst themselves a violent tempest of public indignation and fury rose against them heads of people turned the company was held well able to pay four hundred thousand livres a year to government but bankrupts if they attempted to divide the fifth part of it among themselves an ex post facto law was brought in with great precipitation for annulling this dividend in the bill was inserted a clause which suspended for about a year the right which under the public faith the company enjoyed of making their own dividends such was the disposition and temper of the house that although the plain face of facts reason arithmetic all the authority parts and eloquence in the kingdom were against this bill though all the chancellors of the exchequer who had held that office from the beginning of this reign opposed it yet a few placemen of the subordinate departments sprung out of their ranks took the lead and by an opinion of some sort of secret support carried the bill with a high hand leaving the then secretary of state and the chancellor of the exchequer in a very moderate minority in this distracted situation the managers of the bill notwithstanding their triumph did not venture to propose the payment of the civil list debt the chancellor of the exchequer was not in good humour enough after his late defeat by his own troops to cooperate in such a design so they made an act to lock up the money in the exchequer until they should have time to look about them and settle among themselves what they were to do with it thus ended this unparalleled transaction the author i believe will not claim any part of the glory of it he will leave it whole and entire to the authors of the measure the money was the voluntary free gift of the company the rescinding bill was the act of legislature to which they and we owe submission the author has nothing to do with the one or with the other however he cannot avoid rubbing himself against this subject merely for the pleasure of stirring controversies and gratifying a certain pruriency of taxation that seems to infect his blood it is merely to indulge himself in speculation of taxing that he chooses to harangue on this subject for he takes credit for no greater sum than the public is already in possession of he does not hint that the company means or has ever shown any disposition if managed with common prudence to pay less in future and he cannot doubt that the present ministry are as well inclined to drive them by their mock inquiries and real rescinding bills as he can possibly be with his taxes besides it is obvious that as great a sum might have been drawn from that company without affecting property or shaking the constitution or endangering the principle of public credit or running into his golden dreams of cockets on the ganges or visions of stamp duties on parawanas dustics kissed bundies and huskookums for once i will disappoint him in this part of the dispute and only in the very few words recommend to his consideration how he is to get off the dangerous idea of taxing a public fund if he levies those duties in england and if he is to levy them in india what provision he has made for a revenue establishment there supposing that he undertakes this new scheme of finance independently of the company and against its inclinations so much for these revenues which are nothing but his visions or already the national possessions without any act of his it is easy to parade with a high talk of parliamentary rights of the universality 
of legislative powers and of uniform taxation men of sense when new projects come before them always think of discourse proving the mere right or mere power of acting in the manner proposed to be no more than a very unpleasant way of misspending time they must see the object to be of proper magnitude to engage them they must see the means of compassing it to be next to certain the mischiefs not to counterbalance the profit they will examine how a proposed imposition or regulation agrees with the opinion of those who are likely to be affected by it they will not despise the consideration even of their habitudes and prejudices they wish to know how it accords or disagrees with the true spirit of prior establishments whether of government or of finance because they well know that in the complicated economy of great kingdoms and immense revenues which in a length of time and by a variety of accidents have coalesced into a sort of body an attempt towards a compulsory equality in all circumstances and an exact practical definition of the supreme rights in every case is the most dangerous and chimerical of all enterprises the old building stands well enough though part gothic part grecian and part chinese until an attempt is made to square it into uniformity then it may come down upon our heads altogether in much uniformity of ruin and great will be the fall thereof some people instead of inclining to debate the matter only feel a sort of nausea when they are told that protection calls for supply and that all the parts ought to contribute to the support of the whole strange argument for great and grave deliberation as if the same end may not and must not be compassed according to its circumstances by a great diversity of ways thus in great britain some of our establishments are apt for the support of credit they stand therefore upon a principle of their own distinct from and in some respects contrary to the relation between prince and subject it is a new species of contract superinduced upon the old contract of the state the idea of power must as much as possible be banished from it for power and credit are things adverse incompatible non bene convenient nec in una sede morantur such establishments are our great money companies to tax them would be critical and dangerous and contradictory to the very purpose of their institution which is credit and cannot therefore be taxation but the nation when it gave up that power did not give up the advantage but supposed and with reason that government was overpaid in credit for what it seemed to lose in authority in such a case the talk of the rights of sovereignty is quite idle other establishments supply other modes of public contribution our trading companies as well as individual importers are a fit subject of revenue by customs some establishments pay us by a monopoly of their consumption and their produce this nominally no tax in reality comprehends all taxes such establishments are our colonies to tax them will be as erroneous in policy as rigorous in equity ireland supplies us by furnishing troops in war and by bearing part of our foreign establishment in peace she aids us at all times by the money that her absentees spend amongst us which is no small part of the rental of that kingdom thus ireland contributes her part some objects bear port duties some are fitter for an inland excise this mode varies the object is the same to strain these from their old and inveterate leanings might impair the old benefit and not answer the end of the new project among all the great men of antiquity procrustes shall never be my hero of legislation with his iron bed the allegory of his government 
and the type of some modern policy by which the long limb was to be cut short and the short tortured into length such was the state-bed of uniformity he would i conceive be a very indifferent farmer who complained that his sheep did not plough or his horses yield in wool though it would be an idea full of equality they may think this right in rustic economy who think it available in the politic qui bavium non odit amet tua carmina my we atque idem jungat wolpus et mulgeat hercos End of chapter 23